This is Observations QO Podcast for Friday, the 19th of February, 2021. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. I'm Bruce McQuain. And uh, your volume is a little low, Bruce. I'm going to bring you up a little bit and hopefully not too much that you blast me, uh, blast my okay. eardrums. Uh, this ought to be a little better. So okay. uh, you're at least having good weather. Yeah. And I'm having, kinda, I'm having good weather. So. Yeah, it just went straight down to Texas, didn't it? <laughs> so both sides of the country are doing fine, East Coast and West Coast. But, um, wow, it's uh, – I can remember growing up in Texas, it snowed once. We got one inch in 1972. And for the most part, the temperature in the winter in Texas is in the upper 30s or lower 40s. Yeah, it's a typical winter is it gets down into the you know low 30s at night and up near 45 to 50 during the day. And that's pretty much across the south. So the south is suffering. I mean, they don't build for this kind of weather. And so we've got, you know, busted pipes and we've got all kinds of bad stuff going on uh, because this is this is Minnesota weather. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my, my dad was saying that in Houston, it was down to five degrees. Yeah, that's crazy. In fact, it was it was uh, near zero in Mexico. So I, you know, we we were fifty degrees warmer than Mexico there for a while in Georgia. Georgia and Florida, for whatever reason, missed it completely, and and most of the East Coast, I guess. Uh, but uh, man, did it knife right down into the Texas and and mess them up. Are you ready for the dumbest take that I've heard so far? Oh, yeah, and there have been a few, haven't there? So dumb, it, it causes me physical pain. The primary one being from all of the socialists who are coming and say, this, see, this is what free market capitalism does. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. I got bad news for you. The Energy Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, which runs the entire power grid for the state of Texas. And by the way, it was created so that Texas could not hook up to the national power grid to avoid uh, FERC regulation uh, on their, their power system. They are a nonprofit 5013C that is heavily regulated and overseen by the Texas Public Utility Commission. If you can explain how a nonprofit 5013C that is regulated by a utility commission is free market capitalism, well, now here's the thing. You can't explain that. It's yeah, just- and here's the other part of that, Dale. The other part is uh, the, tra- the, the systems that could have uh, helped this, i.e. coal and gas and all that stuff, uh, couldn't compete with the heavily subsidized windmills and solar panels. Uh, in fact, they, they lost money, and so basically they started shutting them down, which is one of the reasons why, A, Texas has a lot of uh, renewable in the grid, and, B, it failed so miserably in cold weather. Uh, in, the, in the past decade or so, uh, wind energy in Texas has increased from 5% to 25% of all power generation. Right, and that is, it is extraordinarily heavily, heavily subsidized by government. Uh, you know, to encourage it. And by God, they got exactly what they encouraged, didn't they? Yeah. And that's the thing that gets me. All this talk about, you know, this is all capitalism, man. There, There is not an ounce of capitalism in this problem. Nothing. This is nothing. This is a problem of government interference, government regulation, 
And again, ERCOT is a nonprofit organization that is essentially run by the state of Texas. So you want to talk about where the problem is, let's talk about the subsidization of renewable energy sources that would be absolutely non-economic without subsidy. Yeah. And had had they not done that, they'd have probably they'd have probably weathered weathered this just fine. Yeah, and of course these are the same people who tell us that you know that uh, it, it, you know windmills work in, in on the South Pole. You know, they have windmills <laughs> generating power at McMurdo, yet not the same ones, my friend. Yeah, for seven huts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Little windmills with three-foot-long blades on them. It's not the same thing. No, it's not at all. And, now, and they is... wouldn't have all those windmills if if that energy wasn't subsidized. Wind energy costs, I believe, something like 3.5 times more than yeah, gas. Something like that, exactly. And then when you look at at all the uh, all that uh, – it entails to put together a, a, a wind system and how much how much of that is uh, what is it six six hundred me, uh, metric or cubic yards of cement for a base yeah that with full of rebar yeah that's all green uh, you <laughs> <Yeah>, know exactly <laughs> i mean that, that that is just that's just the start and then when you look at all the materials that are made from, you know, petroleum has a big part in uh, that are uh, part of this. Uh, you know, it's if it is if it generates more than it uses, I'd be surprised. Don't tell me you care about the planet or you care about the environment and then tell me we can't have nuclear power. Right. Exactly right. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't know what it is that you care about, but if, if you are pulling nuclear off the table for basically any reason then you just don't care about the planet it, it, it literally is the only cheap and reliable and the least polluting energy source that we can have yes nuclear waste does last for a long long time and we need to have something to do with it uh once we um, once we've gathered it up it's got to go somewhere i understand those issues but somehow we managed to handle literally uh hundreds of thousands of tons of arsenic, for example, every year. And that's got to go somewhere, too. Well, it, nuclear power would give us uh, both reliability, sustainability, and all the energy we could need, we would need in the future for our, you know, for an, our electric car future. And we couldn't build one now in 20 years if we had to. Not with all the permits and garbage you have to go through to put one of those things up. Um, even if uh, even if we started today, uh, it, it would be so far down the road uh, that it, it probably would be too late. But we can trust the government to give us reliable, clean energy, I guess. Yeah, well, f for whatever reason, this is what it's decided reliable and clean means. And, well, we've seen what that means. It's the usual government project, a piece of garbage. Yeah. However, when your state is uh, in sub-freezing weather, weather, forty percent of your utility users have had their electricity cut off, and you're a senator from said state, that may not be the best time to take a vacation to Cancun. <laughs> Much ado about nothing. I'm, I'm well, afraid. Look, you know, it, it really is. There, Ted Cruz is a senator. There is literally nothing 
he can do to affect Texas's power grid or to affect repairs to it. It's not like he's going to put on a hard hat and a pair of lineman's boots and start climbing up to, you know, splice electrical wires. Um, the but optics, the optics are, suck. The, the, the optics <laughs> suck. Um, you know, maybe going out to a soup kitchen in downtown Houston or Dallas might have been a better option than jetting out to Cancun. But um, going to Cancun doesn't show the, uh, what do you call it, the, the compassion I guess that we're expecting our public servants to uh, grace us with. Yep, just like Barack Obama golfing after the Benghazi thing. Hey, you know, they all do it. They're all they all pull stupid stunts. This was a stupid stunt. Get over it. What difference at this point could it possibly make? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. So they're apparently they've got back to 100% generation. So the only people who are out of power now are people who are out of power because of downed electrical lines. And right. That that just it doesn't matter what energy source you have. Uh, when you get ice on electrical lines, they come down. Hello. <laughs> happens yep. in Minnesota every year. I, I was noticing too a lot of pictures of downtown Houston and different downtowns in Texas where everything was lit up and they were you know they were doing the rolling blackouts and, and people were going why. There's nobody at work. Why are those buildings lit up? I mean, talk about bad optics. You know, there there are more for you right there. That's uh, you know who who uh, would who is responsible for making sure that those rolling blackouts are, are lighting the right buildings? I have no idea. But yeah, when your downtown's all lit up and you're looking from the suburbs in there and going, why the hell have they got power? There's nobody there. Well, it's, it's, they, it's not they, a may, good look. they may not, in fact, have power. They may be running off generators. You know, large buildings like that sure. generally have centrally controlled power systems. Which, which would kick. Controlled. Yeah, you lose power, it would kick automatically. Yeah, so, you know, whether you have a blackout or not, the building is still lit up because it's running on, you know, 10,000 diesel generators in the basement. <laughs> but even at that, you know, you would actually have to require thousands of people to come into work at those buildings to actually reprogram the electrical systems at the you know central uh, power stations at those large buildings. You know, they don't run like houses do. There's not a wire running in there that you can just shut off at the you know at the corner of the house. That's not how any of that works. It's a well, much more go. complicated process to turn the lights off in a building. And like I said, most of them have large generators, so when the lights go out, power auto power backups automatically kick in. And I'm sure that the people of Texas would like to know that John Kerry, our, our man on the uh, on the watch here at the Munich Security Conference, said we only have nine years left. Yeah, that's right. We have nine years, or this thing is all over. We might as well just start. You know, I. By the way, I just ordered another sword today off of Cult of Athena, so that whenever the, you know, apocalypse comes. Um, you know, I have some means of personal defense. There you go. But yeah, he, he, I, I thought it was kind of funny because, you know, here, here, as usual, uh, he's lecturing everybody on global warming. And so this, this time, you know, he, he got into it and he said, obviously we want to prevent this from becoming the new normal, you know, to, to the degree we can. And he, and then he noted that, uh, this, this is not global cooling, this is because of global warming. Even though your instincts say, wait a minute, this is the new new ice age, Kerry says, but it's not. It's coming from global warming and it threatens all the normal weather patterns. So here we go. You know, whatever 
happens is global warming. Even even though you're lying, I say I ain't warm. Yeah, you, I mean it's just. Well, it, well, one of the reasons why we've changed it from global warming to climate change is because climate change is a much more rhetorically neat catch-all uh, rhetorical device to use. Right, and I and I'm sure that that. Uh, I'm sure he went to this Munich security conference on, you know, commercial air. Yeah, flying coach, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I don't care if he goes first class. I mean, it just gets you there a few seconds earlier. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but you do get a lot, you get a lot bigger seat. Yeah, that's right. But no, that's, you know, this is, I, I love it. That his line is, there is no room for BS anymore. And then went on to BS everybody. Yeah, well, you know, that, that doesn't seem to be in short supply in the Biden administration. Uh, Joe Biden coming out today saying there was no plan to distribute vaccines. There was a, yeah. We had to build all of this from the moment that we got here. Just um, a flat out lie. Yeah, I mean, that's just the whole Operation Warp Speed thing has been in effect for what almost not quite, but almost a year now. Um, yeah, there were plans to to. But, of course, everybody who wants to believe him will believe it. That, I think, is the thing that, that really bothers me more about modern life than anything else, is the uncritical belief that, and it doesn't have to be just Joe Biden, it's really almost any politician, that what they say, as long as they're on your side, must be God's honest truth. And exactly. It it rarely is. Well, and that's, as you said, on both sides. I mean... <laughs> It, it just amazes me. You present the facts. You lay them out. There's no question that these are the facts. And they'll go, yeah, no. Yeah, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, Congress this week also put in um, a number of bills to limit the possible power and prestige and perks that might be enjoyed by any president who has been impeached twice. But only twice. But only twice, correct. Yeah, that is the most, that's just pitiful. I've got a copy of the Constitution around here somewhere. It's one of the little cubby holes here on my desk. And I'm pretty sure the word bill of attainder and no appears in it somewhere. It's, um, this is just, I mean, the man lives in their head. They, they cannot let go. Uh, Biden has not impressed, and so this is where they go. Well, like Barack Obama managed to to spend eight years of subpar economic growth on as George W. Bush's fault. Yeah, that's true. And t- try and take credit for Trump's afterwards. Yeah, and Trump's economy was a good economy, and only because of the 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 manful job that he did for eight years. <laughs> we have to... Exactly. Exactly right. I mean, come on, people. Wake it's, up. It's just oddly coincidental it didn't happen while he was president. That's true. And, it, you know, it, anyway, we we know what gaslighting is, and we've seen a lot of it. Yeah, the, the, the trouble is that increasingly a large percentage of the population just doesn't. Well, you know, what? one of the... One of the biggest gaslighting operations going on right now is this white supremacy, uh, domestic terrorist crap going on. I mean, it's, you know, this is this is some nutty stuff. And and Biden in that rambling wreck of a town hall that he had 
made the point or tried to make the point that uh, here's this quote and uh, and you see what's happening and the studies are beginning to be done maybe at your university as well about the impact of former military and former police officers on the growth of white supremacy in some of these groups really so now we've we've now we you know found the enemy we know who he is uh, and now we're going to demonize them and we're going to we're going to persecute them and and this is just textbook crap uh you know people don't like to uh hear uh, uh comparisons to the nazis but that's exactly how it's done that's how the soviets did it uh to the to the uh, kulaks i mean that's how this stuff works well, and so I, this domestic I... this 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 break-in at the capitol is now the excuse it's the reichstag fire and here we go. Yeah, and I saw an article this week. Security experts are warning lawmakers that, you know, the Republicans are acting very much like domestic terrorists. And one of the quotes was, if these people were in Afghanistan, we'd be droning them now. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is, it, it is absolutely amazing. So that's the, also, uh, you know, playing with this gaslighting right now. That's also the reason they're going to leave the razor wire fence up and they're going to keep the, the uh, National Guard there until uh, the fall because they're afraid of white supremacist militants who have been, uh, you know, where? Yeah, well, you know, it, it all depends on how you define white supremacy. There was that uh, thing that came out about the uh, sensitivity training that's been going on at Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. Uh, urging, you know, be less white. <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah, or that, that thing that, that they were teaching at school about the, you know, the 12 different stages of white supremacy. Right. Amazing. And, you know, it, it, the thing that amazes me about it, it, it's literally the same arguments that Orville Faubus and Lester Maddox were making yes. in the 1950s. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it's just Democrats being Democrats. I mean, I wanted to remind people today, today is a great uh, day in Democrat history. It was on this day, 78 years ago, that Franklin Delano Roosevelt interned 120,000 Japanese Americans. Yep. It was a... Yeah, but we apologize for that. Oh, well, that makes it better. I mean, sure, it was yeah. 50 years later, but we apologize. <laughs> yeah, the, the point is this, this uh, although, you know, you'll, you'll catch grief uh, if, you, if you compare this to the Nazis or the, the, the Soviets or anybody, this is, this is playbook stuff for totalitarianism, leftist totalitarianism. Uh, it's, it's, and it's, by the way, right out of Saul Alinsky's book. So it's, it's, I, you know, it's definitely the totalitarian impulse. Oh, it is. It's, and we've seen it for a year now in, in many, many places. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, I think this year, this week we had the one year anniversary of the two week flatten the curve lockout, something like that. Uh, it's, yeah, we've seen the petty dictators come out and almost to a person, uh, they're from the left. Yeah. You know, this, this, uh, you know, two week flatten the curve thing. Uh, I think I may have mentioned to you Friday, last Friday, I went into the office for the last time to pull all of my stuff out because we are 
letting our lease go on our office space. We are now a 100% yeah. virtual organization. Yeah. Yeah. I, you a full know, I, year after two weeks to flatten the curve. And this, and this is going to, this is, I, I read an article recently that this was happening a lot. A lot of places have realized, gee, you know, we don't have to pay that high rent stuff. We don't even need an office because, well, we don't have people come in to see us. We could do this all online. And sure enough, you're seeing a lot of this happen uh, for good. Yeah, our, uh, just talking to the management at my company, their plan is to reopen an office in 2021. Really? Really? And after two years of working from home, you're going to make me come to the office every day? You know, you can rent a conference room and have quarterly conferences. Yeah, but, you know, if you're going to spend two years working from home and being entirely virtual, then coming back two years later and saying, okay, we're now going to go back to pre-COVID business as usual, um, I suspect there's going to be a lot of pushback from that. Well, yeah, I would, I would suspect so too. But, you know, like, like my company did years and years ago is we got, we got rid of the sales office because basically it was a place where the sales reps came in and met with the manager and stuff. And basically that was a uh, cost a lot of money. And, and so the company held on to the warehouses, obviously you have to have a warehouse, but as far as meetings go, uh, which were even monthly or quarterly, they just rented a conference room said, come on in and we spent a day. Yeah, and there's no, and there is increasingly no shortage of those places around. Exactly, and 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 otherwise it was all, uh, you know, virtual. We we did it all with email and phone calls. Yeah, you were you were an early adapter. Absolutely, way back place. when. Yeah, this was back in the early '90s. So yeah, and now it's it's way easier to do both on an infrastructure basis and everything oh. else so it's, it's oh gosh yeah yeah i mean you, you we'd be much more connected now than we were but it worked and it worked fine yeah so it's it's uh you know sometimes these black swan events like this you know, pandemic uh actually have make fundamental changes and force people to look at the world in a different way and say why am i doing this stuff? and you know it's it's Everybody is comfortable with doing things the way it's always been done. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and it's tough to change. Uh, yeah, I, I, I recognize that. I've been through it. Uh, but change is constant. And, and so you, especially, in, 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 you know, with technology and in the world of business, they're always looking for a, a more profitable way to do business. And this is certainly uh, a more profitable way. In, in the words of the genius lyricist, for Rush, Neil Peart, uh, no changes are permanent, but change is. <laughs> That's absolutely true, if you, if you think about it. I mean, it's changing all the time. Yeah, and no individual change may be a permanent change, but the process of change right. doesn't just like, stop. Just like climate change. Climate change the climate is constantly changing. Well, the, the trouble is, is that it changes on planetary scale. And we don't really have enough experience with weather as, you know, creatures on this planet to actually, I mean, we've really only in the past century been able to accurately measure any of those changes. And I think a lot of the, the climate change stuff, and I'm not saying that climate change may not be serious. It may very well be. Um, 
I might question our ability to uh, ameliorate it in, to any great degree. But I don't think we truly know what the climate was like a thousand years ago and how it compares to today. Yeah, we have a lot of proxies and we can make some good guesses. But over you know geological period of time, um, it's really difficult to predict where and where the climate is going. Well, that and the fact that you know, I'm, I'm, if we've affected it, show me. And I have, I read this stuff all the time and I have yet to be shown how this, this, uh, the extremes that the, the John Kerry and, and uh, AOC and, and some of the others are talking about uh, are in the future. I'm not seeing it. Uh, I'm not seeing the science that supports it. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of conjecture. I'm hearing a lot of guesses. I'm, I'm, you know, but when you look at uh, how that information was gleaned, i.e., you know, through computer models, uh, models that uh, if you look at the full range of the number of models that were run that were wildly, uh, you know, off the grid, um, th that's not proof to me. Uh, that that's kind of like running, you know, all the NFL teams on a computer and saying these are the guy. This is the guy who's going to win the Super Bowl. Hell, you don't know. Uh, so yeah, show me some proof, uh, other than what you have to this point. Don't fudge numbers. Uh, don't hide declines, uh, lay it on the line and let me take a look at the facts. But if they don't hide declines and they lay it all on the line, we might not be, um, prompted with the sense of urgency that they feel yeah. is necessary. More gaslighting. I mean, we live in a world of gaslight, <laughs> but yeah, that's what's going on. Uh, we're, you know, this is this is um, no different than any other political movement. It's a, it, it is a movement and a ploy for more power, and uh, that power will be uh, the power will be in uh, the form of taxation. They're gonna they're gonna tax thin air, uh, which is something they've always wanted to do. And, and you're going to pay for it, and it's not going to do a damn thing. Yeah. Because China and India are going to do exactly what they're doing right now. Yep, and they are doing quite a lot uh, as it happens. And, uh, well, of course, India is a desperately poor country. Um, they obviously want to, to grow. China is not only desperately poor, although they try to put a good face on it as possible, but they're also run by totalitarian maniacs. Mm. Yep. And they're going to do exactly what they want to do. Uh, good thing, though, it looks like um, the president has uh, set up the Vi Virology Institute of Wuhan for some more taxpayer funding through 2024. Yes, indeed. I mean, $200 million, I think. Yeah, so... Always nice. So... Good to know that that money is going to people who will spend it wisely. <laughs> and, and on virology. Yeah, and they've done like, such a bang-up job so far. Kind of like the city of Chicago that took a, took its COVID relief funds to fund the police. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny how all that works out. By the way, speaking of funny, what is really funny <laughs> is watching Andrew Cuomo uh, implode. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it... it, it uh, I, I was thinking today, 
given the weather and stuff, that hell has indeed frozen over because I actually agree with AOC on something. She uh, she called for a full investigation in the handling of the nursing home uh, deaths. And uh, I thought, well, good for you. Finally, you, you said something uh, yeah, about your, your home state and home constituency. Huh? Yeah, just a year behind um, me. Yeah. Well, you're behind a lot of people on the right who were saying, what, what the hell's going on there? Uh, I also heard that CNN won't let, won't let baby brother interview him anymore. Uh, but it, it, it was well, funny. They, they uh, never should have. Right. Well, yeah, that they had made an exception to the rule, you see. But what was funny about the Cuomo thing is, is uh, New York State Senator uh, Jessica Ramos said, had said to him that, uh, Hey, you know, we're going to do a full investigation, and 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 we'll use uh, we'll use uh, uh, subpoenas and all this good stuff to, to to get down to the bottom of this. And, and Cuomo blew up and said, "You can't use subpoena or a threat of investigation to leverage a person." He said, "That's a crime. It's called abusive process. It's called extortion." And then he spent the weekend calling Assemblyman Kim and doing exactly that, uh, telling him he was going to destroy him. Exactly. While he was bathing his kids. God, what a circus New York is. And Assemblyman Kim, suitably chastened, immediately went public with the whole thing. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you're going to destroy me? Well, let's see what the people in New York think about that. Let's let's let yeah, them in it, on the conversation. Exactly. So, yeah, he's uh, he is making a dog's breakfast of this. Uh, and, you know, not a, not a huge surprise. Yeah, well, look, and, and and I understand that Gavin Newsom's just tickled to death because it's kind of taken the spotlight off him. Yeah, well, <laughs> see, here's the thing, though, for for Gavin Newsom, uh, they have now gone over 1.6 million signatures for his recall. Hmm. They need 1.5, so every signature they get above that is one more signature that. Gavin Newsom's allies are going to have to try to disallow, and so that the you know, that hill is getting taller and harder to climb every single day. Mm. Gotta love it because you know now that now they've got to get rid of more than a hundred thousand signatures as being invalid, and this isn't going away. Uh, no, it's I, not. I I think there is a, an excellent chance that he's going to face a recall election. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy, honestly. Yeah, well, you know, he's he is one of the primary reasons why California is in the state that it's in. Not that it's going to help. I mean, they're just going to put some other Democratic dolt in to, to replace him. Yep, and we already know that. But, uh, yeah, Newsom, Newsom's been a real treat, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. And apparently, um, Adam Schiff is lobbying for the new attorney general position. Oh, my God. There you go. Would that, that, would, would that be a mess or that what? That googly-eyed fool as the attorney general. Ugh. That's terrifying, to be quite honest. I mean, that man ain't, you know, all his wires don't connect. Yeah, yeah. And that is quite often true of politicians in California. <laughs> you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me that people have this assumption that people in politics are somehow smart or yeah. well-read or capable. 
Well, it's just like, oh my God, I mean, Bill Gates, he has money. So we should listen and hang on every word he says. And he says, eat synthetic meat and get rid of all the cows. And you go, really? No. Do you realize what would happen if we got rid of all the cows? If we, you know? <laughs> do, you, do you know what other products are made from that animal? Yeah, well, look, this... It's really, it's really a form of dilettantage. I have money, so I can be a dilettante in many things that I may not fully understand. But exactly I, right. You know, I think one of the most subversive television shows that has been on in the last decade has been uh, the show on HBO called Silicon Valley, because it is a frightening, real, uh, frighteningly realistic picture of the enormous self-regard that many of these tech billionaires have about themselves when you know they literally in many cases kind of were in the right place at the right time and for a while hired good people and they made a lot of money and now they just assume that they are knowledgeable about anything that comes across the transom that might interest them exactly and and uh, they they completely blow off anything that uh any effect um you know it's <laughs> i mean when you think about and of course he he is he is pushing uh synthetic meat because he's invested in it but you know he's he, he is fully vested also fully vested in his opinion he thinks he's got the answer and uh and so his just like John Kerry in, in the in the Keystone folks, he just waves off their the the, the livelihood of, of cattle ranchers and and uh, uh, processors and grains. You know, just yeah, blow those away. You don't need them anymore. Uh, that learn to code. I mean, these guys have a very high opinion of themselves and shouldn't. And, and the fact is, I might listen to Bill Gates opine a little about something to do with how he made his money and, and, and that industry. But, you know, and I might even give him the title expert, but he is no expert in anything else. And the fact that he can buy uh, a podium and, and get this crap out is just a function of his money, certainly not his mind. Yeah, well, you know that's but you know the same thing holds true for politics. There's this assumption. Oh God, yes. Well, you got elected, so you must be one of the best and the brightest. No, you're just a guy who could get the local car dealerships to give you money. Yeah, I mean, my God, Eric Salva. You know. Yeah, that guy. That guy is literally as dumb as they come. Yes, he is just. Oh my God, and then there's Schiff. I mean, God, what a. What a pencil neck loon he is. And and the right has theirs too, you know. But the, the point is we're seeing more and more of them instead of less. Yeah, well, that's what our political class is turning into. Yeah, I know. Yep. Just and so now the other thing that's happening now, I, I understand, is um, they're getting ready to, uh, to uh, approve doing earmarks again. You know, or how to buy a re-election with other people's money. Yeah, well, you know, we're already $28 trillion in debt. We'll see how long that yeah, lasts. Yeah, what the hell? How long? Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. But yeah, that's, you know, this, this, is, this is how when you're unimpressive in terms of accomplishments in Congress, you 
get reelected. You just put earmarks in and then go home and say, yeah, I got that. I got that. I got that for you. I got that for you. Yeah, you don't do anything. You just spend tax money uh, on your constituents and, and on your uh, supporters. And that buys you votes. And then you go back to Congress and you set it back up for the next two years. And that's why we have these long range, wonderful plans. Yeah, but as Margaret Thatcher pointed out, at some point you run out of other people's money. Agreed. And we've spent $20 trillion that we didn't have, so why should this be any different? Yeah, and it's not going to stop, by the way. You know, the Democrats no. are, are just bound and determined to raise taxes. And they're making these promises about all the wonderful goods and services that we're going to have that government is going to provide for us simply by taxing the rich. And Yeah, that's the, just, lie, the, the eternal lie. Yeah. yeah, that's just not going to happen. Eternal yeah, lie. And again, you can show them this. You can lay out the, the, the math. Uh, you, you can put it right in front of them. Hey, if we, if we took everybody that made a million dollars a year and taxed them 100%, we would even make a dent in what this crew spends. Yeah, I think it was uh, Bill Whittle who actually did the calculations on what if you just confiscated all of the wealth of you know, the top 1%, it would run the U.S. government for 10 months. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absurd what want, these people are. You want Denmark's level or Sweden's level of social spending? You're going to need their level of taxes. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. And yes, if you're not willing to pay 50% of your income to the federal government, then it's just a non-starter. And yeah. I mean 50% for the average blue-collar worker. Yeah, yeah, everyone. Everyone pays fifty percent. Yeah, and, and then and then there and then there are incidental taxes on top of that. Well, you know, you've got a what a twenty eight percent VAT on mm -hmm. everything but non prepared food and clothing. I mean, stuff is really expensive. Uh, it's something like uh, twenty dollars or something around that for a beer in Sweden. Yep. You know, taxes. Oh, and don't forget the the road taxes and the vehicle taxes and. Uh, all of the other things that go along on top of that. You know, we, we complain in this country that we work until sometime in the middle of May to get out from under our federal, state, and local tax burden. So for about four and a half, five months of the year, uh, well, five and a half months of the year, we're really working for some level of government. We don't start making money for ourselves till somewhere around the middle of May. Um, you want to have Sweden's level of benefits? You're going to be working for the government until about the middle of August. It's amazing. You know, and that, yeah, I've told you this several times with that, that, that opening of the Anthony Bourdain episode on his trip to Denmark. Yes, Denmark pays some of the highest taxes in the world. The average worker pays 50% of their income to the government. But in return, they get free health care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just, God. It just it floors me. Things like that floor me because he should know better. He's a smart enough guy. Yeah, well, he was anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's just foolishness. Yeah, because don't, don't tell me in literally in two consecutive sentences, they pay some of the highest taxes in the world, but they get free health care. No, no, no. They, your first sentence invalidates the second automatically. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's they not, pay for it's not free if it's half of your income yeah that's right they pay for their own health care that's correct they pay for their health care via taxes. that's correct yeah 
and the government just decides how much it wants to spend of that or what portion of those taxes it wants to spend on health care exactly. or allow doctors to make or whatever, however it's arranged there. Yeah, well, you know, we, we always tend to think of Europe, Europe as having a fairly monolithic healthcare system. In fact, every country in Europe has their own weird flavor of universal healthcare. Oh, yeah. By the way, the good old NHS really stepped on it this past week. It, it was giving an, uh, it gave a non recess order uh, for any, uh, what they called learning impaired. Basically, they were targeting Down syndrome. So if you get COVID 19, and you were a Down syndrome person, a learning impaired. You were you you did not get uh, you would not be resuscitated should you uh, your heart stop or anything. Yeah, but none dare call it eugenics. No, none dare. But it's amazing. You know, it, it it is amazing, and the amazing thing about it is we. I I, I thought we had all these arguments between seventy and fifty years ago. Yeah, me too. You know, we, we had them all. We came down on the side that we came down on, and it was the people on the left who came to, who who won those arguments. And the the weirdest thing about the modern era is that the left is now explicitly disavowing every position they held for the past fifty years. Yeah, segregation is a good thing. Uh, free speech is not good uh you name it. it it's yeah and everyone's a racist and, and i've watched uh, and it, we and, and we judge it. you we judge you on the color of your skin not the content of your character i mean if you have the right skin you can get this job if you don't too bad and the weird thing is i've watched this reversal in my lifetime yeah that's i mean you know i'm still alive i still have memories of when you were making the exact opposite argument that you're making now how, yeah. how how did we make that change? I just I just don't get it. You know, I I always used to laugh at my grandfather because he would always talk about how young people didn't really understand the country and how you know things were so much different and how it was so much better when he was a kid. And I thought this was all just sort of natural. Oh, old people don't like you know, yeah change. <laughs> I'm beginning to think that my grandfather had a lot more on the ball than I gave him credit for when I was yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, you think back. I think back to my life in the in the fifties as a kid, and I thought, boy, what, you know, if I, if I were to say that out now, loud now, boy, I had a great life. It just seemed better in the fifties, and then I'd hear the, yeah, well, you know, civil rights, and yeah, yeah, that, you know, for a kid, that wasn't anything that ran through my head. I played with my friends who were all colors, by the way, because I was in the army. My dad was in the army, and we were on post. And we had a wonderful time, and it was a good time. And you know, uh, there there was a, it was a, an entirely different world uh, than it is today, entirely different. And it's you know, it sounds uh, odd to say that, but it's true. It was different in a good way. It's a different world when it is run by people who have had significant challenges and hard lives. And we now have a world that is essentially run by people who have never had oh, significant God, no. challenges or hard lives, certainly in the West. You know, I, I, I think back, and, and, and part of this was just because, you know, if you were in the Army, you didn't, you didn't make much. But 
uh, things that I would get, uh, you know, I'd, I'd get few, you know, many, much fewer stuff than I have now. But, but I, the things I would get when I got them meant a lot to me and I'd take care of them. Now we, we have this society where, God, you can get anything, anytime. And it, there's just no one really, um, no one really seems to appreciate that. Uh, it, we, we live in the most prosperous times the world has ever seen. And we're whining and complaining all the time about it. And I just don't get that. I don't get why uh, we see people looking at this and saying, oh, this is such a horrible time. It's really not. I mean, we've, we live through horrible times, and this ain't them. This is and literally I, the best of all possible times to be alive. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and God, we've got nothing but whiners and complainers and victims out there. It's, it's all wrong, and it all has to be changed. It's it just drives me crazy. It just absolutely drives me crazy. Yep. Oh, oh, I don't understand it. Oh, Grandpa, he knew what he was talking about, man. Yeah. You know, I I, I think <laughs> I was telling somebody this the other day. You know, when I was a kid, uh, we well, in fact, when I was a I was a baby, we we my dad got assigned to. Uh, uh, Germany. I went to Germany on a ship, for God's sake. You know, they didn't have air travel. And and I the other thing was I was I was born eighty three years after the Civil War. You know that that's not long, really. Uh, but but we we went to Germany on a ship. Um, seven years later, we went to Taiwan on a ship. Uh, Eighteen days in the Pacific. I mean, <laughs> nobody even knows what it's like to go on a ship now, unless they're in the Navy. Or merchant marine, you know, it's just that's the world I came from, and and so from there I've watched this develop, and I don't like where we are right now at all. You know, I was talking to uh, my uh, my college class uh, on Wednesday night, and uh, I mentioned I, I forget how we got onto the topic, but I mentioned you know w- when I was five years old. I watched on our little black and white television when Neil Armstrong stepped out onto the moon. Mm-hmm. And if you had told me right then that within five years, the last man will have stepped on the moon. And by the time you're 56 years old, the American space program will essentially be dead. There will be no moon colonies. There'll be no Mars. We're, we're going to retreat everywhere. And we will cease to do big things as a country. I would have thought you were a lunatic. Mm-hmm. I would have thought there's just simply no way that we will just retreat back into our little shells and forget about the entire universe. Uh, and I guess I, w- I, I would have been wrong. But I, I'm, I'm not surprised, or I'm, I, I, I am constantly surprised at how little... Um, this country is willing to risk and how little it's willing to do and how hard it is now to do anything big. Well, it, one of the things that concerns me as much as anything is, is how terrified everybody is like this COVID stuff. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bad disease and I get that and people die from it and I get that. But if you sit down and read about it and look at it and look at the facts and look at the numbers, it's really 
like a bad year with the flu. And uh, it, it, yes, it affects different people. Yes, it kills people, but so does the flu. So does a lot of stuff. But to run around in a panic and, and scared to death and, and uh, just, you know, we're going to close the schools and, and we're not going to teach the kids and we're et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that, that just isn't the America I thought I lived in. Well, maybe that's what happens when you become so fabulously wealthy that you find that you're incapable of tolerating risk. Mm. Because what, what you have is so important that there is nothing worth risking it for. And that mm. seems to be the dominant cultural attitude, this this inability to, ha to face any kind of risk whatsoever. And by the way, this is part of one of the reasons why we have the cancel culture that we do. You say something intemperate, or maybe not even intemperate, just something people don't like on Twitter, and your employer will abandon you, people will throw you under the bus, uh, at the drop of a hat because nobody wants to take a risk of saying, hey, calm down. What he said was fine because the, the, the terror that they might be next. Yeah. And when you when you realize there's a bunch of freaking uh, people sitting behind a screen anonymously doing this and you can't say screw them, um, you got a problem. Yeah, and you know, I, and I thought it was, and I can sort of trace it back to the whole Where's Justine controversy when uh, that girl made what I thought was a pretty brutal and funny commentary um, uh, about, you know, the, the inequities in South Africa. Um, I mean, she got on a plane, and by the time she got off the plane, she had lost her entire career. Yeah over a single tweet yeah it's just absurd and that that has become who everybody is now yes and and uh it doesn't matter right or left they'll jump on something like you know the old duck on a june bug man i mean they will and and so each side has their their cancel culture oh yeah uh, go, will... go on to twitter and say something mean about trump oh yeah and, and you'll get swarmed. Uh, just like if you say something mean about Biden, uh, the other side is going to swarm you. And, and, and once you realize that that's what they live for, you do like I do. You just don't feed them. And I don't, I don't do Twitter. And that way I don't have to worry about that kind of crap. Let them cancel each other. Don't feed the trolls. That's right. But you know, speaking of that, though, on the right, I, I have to say I am a little bothered by what seems to be a, uh, at least in some people, just an out of control cult of personality around Donald Trump. Oh yeah, but I think too. I, I think one of the things, uh, I think one of the things that drives part of that cult is his treatment by the left and the press. I, I, I think they saw in him someone who stood up for them, and by God, they feel like they should stand up for him. Uh, so, so I can at least see uh, some of, of reasoning behind what they do. Um, he, he was indeed for four years treated like a pariah when he was the president of the United States. And um, I guess the people who identify most with him are also used to being treated like that. 
Yeah, and they don't like it. You're 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 probably right about that insofar as it goes, but uh, I sure wish that um, the Republican Party had picked a a better messenger for that message. Well, Republican Party didn't pick him, and that was the problem. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> Their uh, picks, all fourteen of them, died on the vine. I uh, did notice something that was mildly amusing to me because I take so much pleasure in other people's uh, pain, uh, which was that Nikki Haley early this week uh, oh, exactly. had said, you know, we made a mistake by following Trump down this rabbit hole. We should have been a little more critical. And then at the end of the week, hey, I'd like to come down to Mar-a-Lago. And, exactly. And, you. and Donald you, Trump. <laughs> that, that, that was the behind the scenes. Nikki, you just shit your mess kit. You need to make up with Donald, and Donald's not having any of it. Nope. I mean, you know, the, he's not a fellow that you can criticize on Monday and then ask to come down to Mar-a-Lago for brunch yeah. on Friday. Yeah, she, she messed in her mess kit. I'm wondering if she's... But see, even if you're thinking maybe he would support me for president in 2024, then you think, well, I, I wouldn't piss the guy off before I got some endorsement from him. Yeah, well, she's not getting any endorsement from him. Nope. And I'll tell you who I'm watching for 2024. Who's that? Christy Nome. Yeah, I think Christy Nome is, uh, you know, she's going <laughs> to... I was thinking this the other day. I told my wife, I said, yes, I like Christy Nome. I, I think she'd be great, but she'll be the Sarah Palin of 2024. I don't know. She does seem, uh, how do I say this nicely? She seems to have a little more on the ball than Sarah Palin. Yeah, I don't mean that. I mean, she ain't in the clique. No, that's true. Word she, is, though, that yeah. she is, word is that she is interested in the job. Oh yeah, I, I've read that as well. But she's not. She she is as, you know. We had a governor of Alaska. Now we have a go governor of what Dakota, right? North Dakota, North South Dakota. Dakota, South Dakota. We have a governor of South Dakota. Same thing. I mean, hell, none of those people in in Washington know where those places are. Uh, all they know is they're not in. You know, they're not in the Northeast. <laughs> she didn't come from Harvard or Yale, and she's not one of the boys. Well, that that may be her in if she wants to make another populist run like Donald Trump. Though. Absolutely right. Yeah, that may be her in. But basically what I'm saying is she's going to be treated like Sarah, Sarah Palin by the press, by the other party, yada, yada. You know what? It doesn't. Here's the thing, though. I mean, at this point, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether. I mean, look, look at how Mitt Romney. I mean, you want to talk about a guy from the Northeast who is, you know, more or less a liberal mm -hmm. Republican. Son of, a, son of a governor, yada, yada. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at how he was treated by it. I mean, he was he was literally called a Nazi. <laughs> and, a, a, yeah. and, and a dog torturer. Uh, and his binders of women. And there's no way, by the way, you can go after the binders of women thing in good faith. You just can't do it. Um, and yet they, they used every rhetorical trick on him. And the second he was no longer a threat to Hillary Clinton uh, or Barack Obama, then all of a sudden he became a good Republican again. You're right. He became a McCain Republican. Yeah. A and, squish. You know, it, 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 <laughs> it honestly doesn't matter whoever the Republican nominee is and whatever their bona fides are in terms of being relatively liberal or what have you. They're going to be painted as Nazis. Yeah. And by the way, how do you think that's going to redound to the people who are voting on the Republican side? 
I'm, I, it certainly isn't going to make them more reticent to pick an actual Nazi. Well, yeah, I, I mean, again, the left has a tendency to um, overplay. You know, they've worn race out. I mean, God, you know, you can be you can be called a racist for walking out of your door in the morning if you don't do it the way the left thinks you should. Uh, racism doesn't quite have the sting it once did because they've redefined the word so many times and overused it so much. But it's, uh, you know, that's that's the thing. It's just, um, they'll do the same thing with the side of stuff. I mean, it's just the way they are. That reminds me of a guy who was... Uh... Who, who did a, uh, a tweet today. I saw this come across the transom and I thought it was hilarious primarily because it was so stupid. But basically, and I, I obviously can't find it now, certainly not quickly, uh, and everybody screenshot it, so I can't even do a search for text. But essentially what he was saying is, you know, I know why so many people are liking Bitcoin because it's just toxic white masculinity. <laughs> Bitcoin? Oh, it's it's hilarious. You know, this that's the thing. You know, when you th when everything is white supremacy, nothing is, and that's where they're headed with this. I mean, this is just so much stupid rhetoric about silly things that it's uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, white supremacy really doesn't have a meaning anymore. What it means is anything I don't like. Right. Exactly right. It's well, it's like everything. fascism. Well, I don't like that. It must be fascism. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, the definition has become so overbroad as to be meaningless. You know, the people who want to restrict speech for, you know, and have, you know, felony hate speech laws um, to stop fascism. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll let you outlaw hate speech as long as you let me determine what hate speech is. Exactly. We'll see how that works out for you. <laughs> but, you know, right. again, none of this is like intellectually consistent. None of it is principle based. No, no, no. It's bitchy and yeah. it's excuse making. Yeah. And it's, it's just and it's hate. I'm sorry, but it's hate. I hate the fact that this is, uh, you know, that that uh, so and so, did, uh, whatever your cause is, didn't think of it, so it's it's got to be bad. It's got to be, and so what can I label it with that will make it bad? Ah, white supremacy, of course. Well, I was like earlier this week, uh, one of the columnists for, I believe it was the New York Times, wrote an article about one of these new social media platforms where people are just having unregulated conversations and unmonitored oh conversations on the internet. <laughs> And you know what the real answer to that is? Hey, if you don't like it, don't don't use it. Uh, but I mean, the the entire idea behind it is it's dangerous, right? To allow normal that. people to just have unmonitored conversations in public. How dare they? How how dare they? They might have you know they might be thinking wrong. They might have bad opinions. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and the fact book check the fact checkers won't be able to get to them and save them because you know this is all good intention stuff what they, what these guys are doing they're just trying to save us from ourselves yeah i was uh i was talking to, to chris and she was she apparently saw a, a friend of hers was on uh facebook 
and had posted a video and was actually crying during the video about um, how, you know, Trump had done that thing with the medications and she was for a while just paying like $5 per insulin. Mm-hmm. And now that that has been overturned by executive order, um, her price has gone back up to like 500 a dose for insulin. Right. Or 500 a refill for insulin. She was crying about it. And her video was removed from uh, Facebook for spreading misinformation. Something that she had actually experienced. Yes. But clearly it wasn't Joe Biden's fault. Clearly it wasn't his executive orders that caused her. It must have been something else. She's just spreading misinformation. And so, boom, she disappeared off Facebook. That's amazing. You know, I put a couple things up on Facebook uh, under under Q&O where they've slapped something on it uh, saying, you know, this is uh, missing context or whatever. And you look at the explanation I put up and you look at uh, the context they add to it. And it's a non sequitur. The context that I'm talking about and point out is completely different than what they come up with and say, this is missing context. So you realize that they didn't, well, for instance, uh, I put up a thing about AOC when she wasn't even in the Capitol building during her near-death experience. And I said, so essentially the drama queen pretty much lied about everything. Will there be any accountability for lies and accusations? Well, Facebook comes back and said she never said she was in the building. And I put up an update and I said, the content, AOC never said she was in the Capitol building. No one said she did. What she lied about was her near death experience. But what they do is they wave people off with this false context crap. And uh, the point that you're trying to make is missed. Yeah, well, see here's... Which tells me it's simply an algorithm looking for a particular uh, uh, article or, or, or subject or something and slapping this crap on it. Yeah, because, because millions and millions of people are putting stuff up all the time. It all it's has ridiculous. to be done via so, yeah. some sort of algorithm, and it just slaps the same thing on it. And, but the thing with, with AOC hello? is... As, uh, hello? I'm Dale? Here. Yes, I'm here. I hear you. If there's a problem, it must be coming off of your end. We're all hearing you here. Hello? Okay, well, this is... We back? Uh, I'm back. I didn't go anywhere. Are you here? Okay, he can't hear on his end of the conversation. Um, and I don't know how to fix it because I didn't do anything on my end. Okay, I, I can hear you now. I must. I'm. A, I think I have a wire that has managed <laughs> okay. to mess itself up. Okay. Uh, what I was trying to say before you interrupted me by saying hello, are you there? Uh, was, yeah, it was me. Was uh, the uh, the thing with AOC, and this is yeah. where, and this is what makes even the fact check and the let's add some extra content or context to it so utterly disingenuous is the fact that, no, she wasn't at the Capitol building. However, that is a really intentionally narrow interpretation of what she said. What she said was, you know, on that day I was in the Capitol complex and I, you know, was almost killed and these people were looking for me. Okay, when you say in the Capitol complex, you're saying that intentionally. 
you're saying that so you intentionally don't say I was in the Capitol building. But by saying I was in the Capitol complex, you're intentionally trying to give the impression <clears throat> that that is, in fact, where you were, but without saying it so that later on, when somebody points out that you're full of bullshit, you can come back and say, well, I never said I was in the Capitol building. No, no, no. It is it is a it is a lie by implication and an intentional one. And so when they come in and they they give you her defense, then what they're actually doing is. It deliberately neglecting to point out what she did rhetorically and intentionally to give you the impression that she was, in fact, in the Capitol building. She, that's right. She phrased that in a very particular way. If you want to put extra context in, that's the context that needs to go in. She lied by implication, and she did so intentionally. That and the fact that she had no near-death experience, as she claimed. None. And so that was the point. There was no near-death experience. She was the, the only person she saw was a cop who was there to try and make sure everybody was safe. And, uh, and he was she, problematic too. Apparently. I mean, everything's problematic to her. But the point being is he was doing his job. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it was nonsense on a stick. And here you've got Facebook slapping context warnings on it when, in fact, that had nothing to do with the point of the post. Um, same with the fact checkers. The fact checkers turned themselves into pretzels uh, this week, trying to explain away Joe Biden's nonsense. Uh, you know, w w when he said we didn't have a, a vaccine when I came into office, they—they, they, I mean, it was dis—it was a disgusting display. Um, because so, they're not so, fact checkers; they're apologists. Well, that's correct. And they will find a way to weasel weasel word around saying, well, that's really not what he meant. Hey, I heard what he said. You know, don't tell me that's not what he meant because you have no freaking idea if that's what he meant. But I heard what he said. Yeah, I heard the words. You don't have any more yeah. access to his inner life than I do. Exactly. You know, and, which and, is, by and, the way, and, the and, same argument I have with my wife all the time. You said this. <laughs> well, what I meant was, well, then say yeah. what you mean. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I do a bit of that myself. <laughs> and I get it. And I get a bit of, bit of that myself. But um, yeah, it's uh, that is that drives me nuts. I'll, I'll just be up front. You know, I don't need somebody fact. I'm smart enough to fact check things myself. Uh, I, I, I read enough stuff and read enough uh, uh, versions of, uh, of a story or, or, or what's going on that I don't need these yahoos telling me, well, this is what's right and that's not, well, uh, especially when they get it wrong so many times. Yeah, and the whole attitude is you poor benighted fool. Yes. You're so incapable of thinking for yourself that we now have to take you by the hand and guide you through the appropriate thought process. Because exactly. Because you're just too fucking stupid to be trusted to have a, a thought in your pretty little head. That's it. And that's exactly basically what they're saying. And that's what drives me nuts. You know, if only I, mean, I could run your life. I could run your life so much better than you do. <laughs> you know, yep. These are the same people who write books, What's the Matter with Kansas?, uh, a 400-page tome complaining that the people of Kansas don't vote the right way because they don't know what their own true interests are. Yeah. Yep. 
I the experts. I suspect the people of Kansas have a very clear idea of what their interests are. And that's the thing that irks me about people like uh, oh, Tom Nichols, who talks about how we don't trust experts. Well, you know what? You know when we stopped trusting experts? Whenever experts ran the Vietnam War for us and they told us how this was all going to be rosy and there was a light at the end of a tunnel. And you know what? There hasn't been a change in that since. And they've been wrong. They were wrong about that. And they've been wrong about every fucking thing in public policy for the past 60 years. So you yep. want to talk about how Americans don't trust experts? Hey, here's an idea. Try being right once in a while. Yeah. And now we have the king of uh, foreign policy uh, faux pas in office. It's, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. A guy who has been wrong about every foreign policy issue in my lifetime. Yep. And who has, by the way, I do not remember a time in my lifetime when he was not in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Thankfully, I do. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm 56 years old. By the time I became aware of politics, he was already in the Senate. Yeah. And what has he accomplished? Well, he, he has accomplished many re-elections and election to the presidency. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the whole point. That's that's been his the focus of his life and that's all has been yeah, yeah that's is, has been to stay in office and uh, uh that's what you that's what that's what we have a guy who knows how to stay in office and, and a guy who is incapable of walking away from office even when he's in his late 70s yeah nobody who wants the presidency that bad should be trusted with it i agree i totally agree you know, and his, his, you know, I'm such a good, you know, middle class, I, a friend of the working man. Joe Biden wouldn't recognize a working man if he came up and punched him in the face. Well, hell, Joe Biden's never worked. <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, no, right, <laughs> he's, he, he was a, he was a lifeguard at one point when he left. Oh, home. that's right. He let those kids play with the hair on his legs. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's not creepy. That's not creepy at all, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's. That's an interesting story, Joe. Yeah, boy, where'd you get that one? Like most of his stories, that's really interesting. Um, what was the other thing that... Oh, yeah, that was the other thing. Uh, Joe Manchin today uh, just walked oh, right yeah. off the reservation, didn't he? Um, they, Neera Tandon, Joe Biden's uh, nominee to head the OMB, um, Joe Manchin, Democrat from uh, West Virginia, just uh, popped off today and said, yeah, she's a little too divisive. I ain't voting for her. Yeah, and that pretty much sinks her. <laughs> unless, she, unless unless Romney or Murkowski or Collins, uh, you know, the usual folks decide, oh, she's sweet. I'll vote for her. Yeah, well, it, it's, it, it makes her nomination a little tougher. Yeah, it does. And, and we'll see. I mean, if she gets through, that means... You know, she obviously after go. I mean, she went. What is it? She's the uh, head of the Center for American Progress, which is a huge left wing uh, propaganda uh, mill. Let's let's not proper, Yeah, I was I was going to try on. and say something nicer than that, but yeah, propaganda mill. <laughs> <laughs> and she has been vicious in her tweets uh, for both on both sides, but mostly on the Republican. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, Manchin, I think Manchin is kind of uh, enjoying his role as the kingmaker in the Senate. Well, he, you know, he he is in an interesting position now. Yeah, he is. Um, 
I, I think you're going to see some very interesting triangulation on his votes over the next couple of years. Well, I, you know, I, he may too be right now trying to establish himself so that he has some leverage with uh, Chucky and, and, and the rest. And uh, she's, I, I think most people think didn't think she'd get in anyway. So this is a good time to kind of bow up and show them what he can do if they don't ma- play with him. Yeah, well, it's, it's um, you know, it's always interesting to see how people who are, are, are trying to walk that middle line vote. You know, it's like during the, the Trump impeachment, um, the votes to convict from Romney, from uh, Susan Collins, from Lisa Murkowski. I mean, you pretty much knew that that's how they were going to vote because now yeah. they can they can now go back and say, I'm still a Republican, but I insulated myself against that nasty Trump stink. But I know he's not going to be convicted anyway, so I can I can make that vote. Yep, and it's all calculation. But trust me, they well you know this, but they calculate every vote, and uh, you know they know when they have a free one and they they'll exercise it. But it's all calculated. It, there's not a single vote cast in the House or the Senate that hasn't been gone over by the staff and every calculation made possible. Uh, as to how this may help or hurt uh, re-election. And, you know, you have to assume that they know their constituency. Now, what I thought was a real class act by the Utah Republican Party, because obviously they had uh, two senators like every other state, and they both voted differently. One voted to convict and one voted to acquit. And the uh, Utah uh, Republican Party came out and said, yeah, we have two senators. They both have two different ideas. We don't want um, intellectual uh, uniformity in the Republican Party. We're a better party because of the diversity, and and we believe that both of them voted the way that they felt was best. And that's perfectly fine with us. Mm. Which is a big change from the way that, say, oh, Liz Cheney's state party organization (laughs) responded to her. Well... And and I, I think basically what they said to Liz Cheney, and I understand this as well, was you are your name is representative, and this does not represent the will of the people that you are sent there uh, for. So you know I get that side too. Um, yeah, I don't have any problem with somebody voting their conscience if they're willing to live with the consequences. Uh, those were the consequences for Liz Cheney. Yeah, and who who knows? Maybe the state party in in what is it, Montana, um, feel that um, feel a lot more strongly about it than the state party of Utah. I just thought it was I just thought it was a, a very class act for the state party of Utah just to say, hey, we have two senators, both of them are going to vote our way, you know, ninety percent of the time, so we're happy with either of them. Yeah, and plus. That was an easy thing to say, knowing he wasn't going to be convicted. Yeah, I mean, once you had, you because know, uh, you know, Chris was watching this you know, obsessively. She watched the entire impeachment trial obsessively, and mm. um, I told her before it started, and they had the very first vote about whether it was even constitutional to have this impeachment, and forty-five senators said no, it wasn't constitutional. I said, well, it's over. You're yeah, right. how can you vote to to convict if you say it ain't constitutional? Yeah, so so every so I told her everything that happens beyond this point is a waste of everyone's time. 
Exactly right. Because we already know they don't have 67 votes to convict. But, you know, they, they did it anyway. And, of course, while they were doing that, you know, look, I'm, I'm kind of happy that they spent a couple of weeks on this because while, while they were doing that, it meant that those sons of bitches weren't coming after me. <laughs> yeah, but behind the scenes, they were putting this $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan together. Hey, Joe said I would get my – well, actually, he didn't say I would because I'm not going to get a penny of COVID relief, not a dime. Yeah. So make, COVID relief, you make too much money. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm, I'm rich, you, I guess. You make too much money in freaking California. Oh, how can you do that? Yeah. <laughs> if I made the money I made now in like San Antonio. Oh, God. I'd be in pretty good shape. But I make the or money jo- I make now in San Diego. It ain't the same, trust me. Exactly. No, it's not at all. <clears throat> nope. Right. Funny stuff. And oh, as cold as it we, is, I wish I was in San Antonio. Yeah. So we do have to touch on uh, the death of Rush Limbaugh. Um, that was uh, expected. I don't think anybody, you know, the guy had lung cancer, stage four lung cancer. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to slip that one. But um, <clears throat> I've been reading, reading a lot of stuff uh, from people who, I didn't realize how generous a guy he was. Um, he was, uh, he was a quiet, quietly generous, uh, with a lot of people in the conservative movement that were coming up and, and learning the business. And he, uh, he, he made a lot of friends and I just, you know, I always thought of him as this recluse sitting down in his Florida studio, you know, uh, beating his gums every day for three hours. Uh, not at all. So that was a, that was an interesting thing to hear. Yeah. I, I sort of weathered through the expected, mm. well, I, I, I hope he's not too hot sort of comments. From, yeah, that's yeah, From Jesus. the usual suspects. I mean, you, 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 that, that's how bad partisanship has gotten. You can't even die and have anyone say a kind word. About yeah. It. And look, I hadn't listened to Rush. I, I probably haven't heard a Rush Limbaugh show for 20, 25 years. Um, but I do remember listening to him at the height of his popularity in the 1980s and, and early 1990s. Yeah, I heard him then, too. I, I'm with you. I haven't listened to the man for years and years and years. And, you know, as at the time, he did an, an invaluable service to a country that was flirting with, uh, with leftism, and he pulled a lot of people out of that, out of that mindset. Uh, Agreed. I'm not sure he was as influential over the last uh, 20 years of his career as he was for the first 20. I I, I think, you know, his market got saturated with all of the the Hannitys and the uh, Ron Reagans and all of the other. Or it was no, it wasn't Ron Reagan. It was uh, uh, the Ronald Reagan's son, but it wasn't Ron. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. I can't think of his name either. I I can't either. His last name was Reagan. Um, Michael Reagan. Um, yes. And, you know, there's just this he sort of led this explosion of of conservative talk radio that that he, he became a victim of his own success, really, because it really diluted the market for what he was selling and uh, or what he was pushing. And so, you know, he largely was a victim of his own success. But for a, a good 15 or 20 years, 
uh, he was the go-to guy for explaining conservatism to the average person in the street in a way that Bill Buckley, for example, was never quite able to. Agreed. Yes. I, I think that was, uh, that was the power of Rush Limbaugh was the, he was a terrific explainer. Uh, he was able to take what would most people consider a complex subject, uh, whatever it might be, and break it down and lay it out in layman's terms. So you, so you, at the end of it, you went, ah, you know, you, you actually had that eureka moment. Uh, and, and like you said, that's, that was an invaluable thing. Plus, uh, a couple of the folks I read said they, that until he came along, uh, they felt like they were kind of on an island by themselves. That, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, that that they were the only one that thought this way, and 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 you know, they they felt all alone. And then this guy comes along, and and they find out I'm not at all. I'm just you know, I'm I'm just like a lot of people, and that that was very powerful for them. Yeah, a lot so, of people spent ten or fifteen years of their adult life thinking to themselves. Am I the only person who thinks Teddy <laughs> Kennedy is a dick? Yeah, exactly right. So yeah, the the man uh, the man was very very influential. Uh, I, I also love the way <clears throat> he was able to drive the left crazy, yank their chain, uh, and, and he did it by being absurd many times. And and, and so he you know the usual thing when the left. Uh, is confronted with something like that, they, they call him names. You know, he's a Nazi and he's a, he's a homophobic and he's a, a racist, even though his call screener for the entire, his entire career was Bo Snurdly, who's black. Yeah, I, you know? I, and by the way, I thought it was hilarious that the Washington Post, writing his obituary, said he used to have, you know, off-air conversations with, quote, Bo Snurdly, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I can't think of the guy's name, but yeah, yeah, that was his uh, that was his uh, call screener. That yeah. was the guy who and producer. He was the guy who ran the program. And Bo Snurdly was like, um, "I'm not a fictional character." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how well the the, the post knew. Uh, I swear, but yeah, no, they, I, I, you know, everyone's got to go, and and. Uh, you knew he wasn't going to stick around long, but uh, he, he did a lot of good, I thought, uh, especially uh, getting the other word out. At a time when that other word had almost no place on the airways. Agreed. And uh, I think he was very fortunate that uh, he was in the right place at the right time whenever they killed the fairness doctrine. And yeah, Reagan, that's what somebody said. Reagan made him. Yeah, uh, made exactly. him. And, well, <laughs> Reagan started him. I think Bill Clinton made him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You, you got a point. <laughs> All right, Bruce. Well, I think we're about done. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. All right, bud. Take care. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to Observations QNO Podcast for Friday, the 19th of February, 2021. As always, on behalf of Bruce McQuain, this is Del Frank saying thanks for listening. We hope you'll be listening again the next time. In the meantime, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. So long. Mm-hmm.